HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We're back here broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, here at Roberta's, and it's going to be another Stone Cold Gas on Art Sense Seizures. Uh, all things cool today. We're talking about all things cool with author Keith Elliott Greenberg, whose new book is. Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, James Dean's Final Hours. James Dean's Final Hours, and Keith, of course, uh, was the author of a book about uh, John Lennon's final moments as well, but also had wor- has collaborated with some of the world's greatest professional wrestlers, including Ric Flair, that was a New York Times bestseller, and, uh, and, and a cavalcade Classy of Freddie stars. Blassie, Class- and superstar Billy Graham. The King of Men. As well as the Iron Sheik, which is a story onto uh, itself. And, and we're going to talk about all, all, all those people, a cavalcade of stars. And sitting right next to me is the ace, Dante Jace, here he is, former professional wrestling commentator, the voice of professional wrestling. That's exactly right. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> and you know, my partner, for anybody that doesn't know, he is also Mike the Main Event Edison, and we are a commentary team. It's true. We were in business for a short while, sitting there. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I want to say the Nichols and May of professional wrestling, but uh, no wrestling fan would possibly know what the fuck that means. They didn't know it when Judy McGuire and I used to, <laughs> used to make that gag. But, um, but yeah, yeah, the, Vin- the Vincent Jesse of, a na- of the now generation. Yeah, for a moment, Jesse. Or- for a moment, we were uh, uh, commentators in big-time professional wrestling. Yeah, and, it- and hopefully we'll be back there soon. I mean, any, uh, any promoters out there, you hear us, you want to book us, we're, we're available. The thing about Dante, of course, is he doesn't like it much when people break the rules, Keith. That's exactly right. I don't like rule breakers. I don't understand why they can't just win fairly. Why can't they win without cheating? But you call that cheating, I call that ring savvy. You've got you're so naive. I'll educate you, don't worry. 
Well, I don't know, Mike. I mean, you have a lot of knowledge about the sport, but the fact is, I don't understand why these guys just can't win by the rules. Because if you're not hitting someone over the head with a TV monitor or a folding steel chair, then you're just not trying hard enough. Keith, I want to ask you a question. just wrote this great book about uh, James Dean. It's the 60th anniversary of James Dean's uh, death coming up at the end of, end of the month. Um... James Dean is the the icon of cool. When you think about cool, it's like, you know, I mean, and it's a cool, it's just an American concept. It doesn't even translate to any other language. If you go to France and something is James Dean Esker, Marilyn Monroe Esker, Cadillac with fins Esker, Miles Davis Esker, they say, say cool. They didn't even bother to make up their own fucking word. James Dean was it. So how come there's never been a wrestler with a James Dean gimmick? Well, I mean, I was thinking about this beforehand, and if you remember Cowboy Frankie Lane, he resembled James Dean to a certain extent. Uh, all right. But I don't remember a James Dean gimmick. Uh, was, was Fonzie a James Dean gimmick? Hey. Who's that, Fonzie? <laughs> I, I think by that point, a lot of people had a James Dean gimmick. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think so, too. We all wanted to start this, and I do want to talk about James Dean and... Um, when I was uh, reading the book, actually, full disclosure, I, when I was editing this book, we That's worked right. together on this book for, um, for Backbeat Books and at uh, Hal Leonard Performing. Actually, it's Applause uh, Books, which is uh, the same. Uh, uh, it, it's another division of, that, of Hal Leonard Publishing. Great. The, the Applause imprint of Hal Leonard uh, Publishing. Anyway, when I was working with, with, with you on this book, I went back and I uh, watched all James Dean movies, and Giant is definitely my favorite uh, of his feature films. But there were references to these amazing early TV performances, and these little bits, and we have, have a clip. This is from one of his, like, his first speaking appearance, right? It's his first speaking appearance in a motion picture. And let me tell you, Dad. He wasn't you know, even credited for it. Right, this is how you go into a, a, a malt shop and order a milkshake. Coming your way, Tony. Got it, Gramps. Hey, Gramps, I'll have a chalk malt. Heavy on the chalk, plenty of milk, four spoons of malt, two scoops of vanilla ice cream, one mixed with the rest, and uh, one floating. Would you like to come in Wednesday for a fitting? <laughs> Thank you. That's the best. I, I'm going to say it again because I, I love it so much, and I cannot wait. I'm going to go down to Eisenberg's or the, uh, <laughs> you know, or the. Is gem- there any place where you can get a malted now? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Let me get a malted. What about egg cream? You, you know, an egg cream is, is its own thing, and we could talk about that. You know, you know what I love? I love a coffee egg cream. That is like people. You know, that's like black belt and above, though. You got to start with your chocolate egg cream, maybe graduate to a vanilla egg cream, which is pretty cool. And a coffee, though, that's like thirty third degree mason shit. Well, James, he goes, "Hey, Gramps, I'll have a chalk malt. Write this down, you kids at home." Heavy on the chalk, plenty of milk, four spoons of malt, two scoops of vanilla ice cream, one mixed with the rest, and one floaty. But that was a statement about what American society was evolving into at the time. And that was as hip as you could speak. And there's probably some language in the hip-hop world, which I can't articulate, that would be the equivalent. But I think James Dean, we're still talking about it 60-some-odd years later. Yeah, I think that that is the height of cool. So, um, what was it about James Dean? I also have um, a clip uh, here from his breakthrough role in Rebel Without a Cause. You know, you have to think at the time. This was like the first time the teenagers were even treated like human beings. You know, I mean, at the time it was not yeah, cons- children should be seen and not heard. And children, yeah. Right, and and it was the first time in the 1950s when being young was seen as something. Uh, Something other than 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 uh, cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, three fifths of a human being it was a teenager. No, it was the first time that it was thought that being young was cooler than it was to be old. It was the nascent rock and roll culture, and teenagers were misunderstood. And I think he had a lot um, 
obviously resonated with a lot of people. Liz, why don't we spin that next clip? This is just um, with uh, our buddy Jim Backus. <laughs> also, right. pizza, pizza, pizza Rumba's favorite actor um, from uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Got anything to say for yourself? Not interested, huh? Can't you answer? What's the matter with you anyhow? He's just loaded, honey. I was talking to Jim. Well, I'd uh, like to just explain. You see, we just moved here, you understand, and the... Uh, Kid hasn't got any friends. You understand? Hey, well, and we moved, moved into it. Will you hold it, Jim? Tell, him, tell the man why we moved here. Will you hold it? You can't protect me. Do you mind if I try? Do you, do you have to slam the door in my face? <laughs> I try to get to him. What happens? Don't I buy everything you want? A, a bicycle? You get a bicycle. A car? You buy me many things. No, no. Well, not just buy. Well, we give you love and affection, don't we? Well, well, then what is it? Was it because we went to that party? Well, you know what kind of drunken brawls those kind of parties turn into. It's not a place for kids. A minute ago, you said you didn't care if he drinks. He said a little drink. You're tearing me apart! What? You you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! That's a fine way to behave. Well, you know who he takes after. Oh! teenagers as human beings what a concept and that was a very radical thing to depict and you have to give uh, the uh, both the screenwriter and Nicholas Ray who was the director credit for that because of the type of dialogue it was and it really was a good 15 years before its time you know you go through the 60s and by the early 70s you're psychoanalyzing the relationship between parents and their children uh, you're you're an actor, uh, Dante, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm, I'm your man of uh, stage and uh, stage and, and film. I mean, um, which is well, why, why you're probably such a good wrestling announcer is because of your theatrical background. Oh, um, has you. James Dean come up these days? Yeah, James Dean is a great actor. I mean, James Dean was a method actor, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He was trained Stanislav, by Lee Strasberg, and we didn't uh, like very much, but yes, go oh, ahead. <laughs> interesting. Well, um, but yeah, method acting is one of the uh, predominant. Uh, you know techniques that I use as an actor, and James Dean was a master of it, which is one of the reasons why he was so good. Do you use the method acting technique while you're commentating on professional wrestling? <laughs> well, that's uh, a little bit. You yeah, really, really are good two shoes, aren't you? <laughs> okay, you really now, are offended. Okay, okay now, now let's take it a step further, since uh, everything digresses into wrestling. Who would be the most method? A performer now oh, in WWE. A great question. That that is a good question. Um, I'd probably say Bray Wyatt because he. Uh, I get the impression from him that he stays in character all the time. And, and, when and, he and does, he's like uh, a voodoo hillbilly. How would you describe his? Um, I, I'd describe him more a as trash. a uh, yeah a, hill, a hillbilly cult leader. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what what about Dean Ambrose? Oh, Dean Ambrose is great. Dean Ambrose is great on the mic. He does great promos and another guy that is always staying in character. So uh, even though I, I doubt these guys really ever studied any real acting technique, they Maybe definitely they, did. <laughs> they might have. You never know. They well, definitely about, have their characters. How about down. the million dollar man? I love the stories when the million dollar man Ted DiBiase was uh, doing his gimmick and um, of course um, the uh, <laughs> the, the 50 year olds who listen to the show will remember but for you young people out there the million dollar man uh, was just like he sounded like he was a very rich guy and his gimmick mm-hmm. was um, that everybody's got a price yeah. Right, and, and he was a mean son of a bitch. He was a heel, but apparently, I mean, he he lived the life. That's the way they set him up. The way Vince gave him the money, said fly in the Learjet, ride the car, stay in the best hotels. Because I want you believing who yeah. you are. 
Right. Yeah, I, I used to love the Million Dollar Man as a kid. Um, I mean, he was really entertaining, and he was a great wrestler, too. So it wasn't just the gimmick. It was like he had the in-ring skills to back it up. And, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. This is going to be a show about professional wrestling. I no, we'll get back to James Dean. We but, always do. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about that yesterday, in fact. You look at a guy like Fandango, mm-hmm. who had a lot of... Uh, Fandango. Just let let people know that he's a a, a slightly effete Mexican dancer. (laughs) Or or a a dancer of some vague Latin background. Tango dancer. Tango dancer. He's he's, he's like the guy. He reminds me. He's like like the gay dance instructor who hits on all the women because it's his job. (laughs) But that that said, that, that character didn't resonate. And the Million Dollar Man, like The Undertaker, like Kane, Mm -hmm. was able to run with that character and maintain that character for years and years and years. Well, here's the thing, okay, but the Million Dollar Man was a heel. He was a bad guy. He was the guy that said to the kid, you know, here, I'll give you 100 bucks if you could bounce this basketball. It's 500. You know, 10 times. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and and then don't forget he kicked the he would kick the basketball away. It was Virgil who kicked the ball. That's right. It was bounce the basketball. If you could make it ten times, you got the five hundred dollars Greenberg, five hundred dollars. Um, and of course, the ball got kicked out number nine. And the kid went home crying. And man, he had a lot of he had a lot of heat for shit like yes. that. Yes. And there was a lot of spontaneity and, behind that too. And of course, let's not forget that heels sell tickets. The bad guys that sell tickets, well, not your friends, these baby faces, these do-gooders, you know, these 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 fake angels pretending like you know, like they actually are not breaking the rules. But they're all dirty, dirty, dirty. These motherfuckers all fucking cheat. Well, okay, I'll and tell especially you what, and especially that giant yellow doofus Hulk Hogan. All right, who you talk about method acting? What Roddy Piper told me, Hulk Hogan was the guy who wore his spandex while he was mowing the lawn. The very fact that Hulk Hogan <laughs> that's was the kind of mowing this lawn. Was. The very fact that Hulk Hogan was mowing his own lawn is quite a statement about Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I, I think Hulk Hogan kind of showed his true colors to be a heel in real life. That's a sad situation. It's, yeah, a, it's, it a, it's a sad is. situation. It's a tricky business. Um, there's so on so many different levels. You know, I can't, I can't stand the motherfucker. I, re- Look, I really, but, I really but, can't. But, but, but I never wished upon him. Like, oh my god, his wife and daughter. What a couple of fucking shrews. And the way and his, and his kid and that accent. There's so much bad luck. You know, I know and there's certain bad karma and, around him. And then he's him. making a sex tape. And again, most people don't get involved in a lawsuit involving their sex tape. But if you do, and the other side decides to play the, in, the sex tape in its entirety, you might be saying something you wouldn't want the entire world to hear. On said sex tape. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty rough stuff. Yeah. Did you watch the sex tape? I did. I, I, I totally didn't. did. <laughs> I, I didn't think I want to see an old man wrinkled up like that in a sex tape. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I found it kind of amusing, actually, for the whole 60 seconds that the act itself lasted. Did he drop the big leg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, Hulk Hogan is talentless in pretty much any venue. <laughs> Just the whole okay, but you feel sorry for I, I, I do because, like, yeah, he's a jerk, and, and, and he's stupid, and he's not a good wrestler, and we all have heard stories. He's just not nice to guys backstage, and he was never good to younger wrestlers, and he's not the hardest worker, and, you know, he's an office boy, you know? But 
on the other hand, of course, he was a big star. But he's. I just don't like to see this much bad shit happen to to anybody. To one year. Yeah. I mean, listen, I he's flawed. I mean, I mean, even Hulk Hogan is one of God's children, you know. Okay, but, I, but, I, but his kid in that horrible traffic tough. accident, and his mm-hmm. friend died, and he really got got screwed. His friend, his friend was paralyzed, you know, and, and his friend got and, and the way you know his wife took everything from him, and, and his you know daughter like fighting against him, like just like yuck. It's just like one big yuck. Well, yeah. you know what? What's also significant in that tape, and I would think be as embarrassing as the deplorable racial remarks he made, is the stuff he's saying about his own family, how his own family has disappointed him. And who the hell wants that, you know, those private thoughts out for the whole world? Yeah, that's one thing I would agree with, that um, private remarks are made in private. The one thing that I do feel bad about Hulk Hogan about is that he made these thoughts and and uh, remarks not knowing that the entire world is going to hear them and there was a huge backlash about it well that's always a question and you know and for, about free speech and some of these issues and um you know, when people say these things with the expectation of privacy, it wasn't like an email, it wasn't a blog, it wasn't, he wasn't in a TV studio, he said it at his home, and he didn't know he was being taped, apparently. And was it his home or Bubba the Love Sponge? It might have been Bubba's home. So if you see the sex tape, he's like banging, and it was like, when I say bang, I mean like bang. Like there was no ing, it was just like in, it was like in and in and out, right? A two um, pump chump. It, it, was, it was it was it was a squash match uh, of sexual intercourse, and she's just sort of like this, you know, this kind of schlubby woman is like, come on, and uh, I don't know. She puts her mouth on him, then he sticks it in, and then he's done. He puts his pants on, says, "I gotta go." And Bubba the Love Sponge, I, I think, is in the other room. Her husband's like in the other room, like brushing his teeth or something. <laughs> but it, just, like doesn't, doesn't Hogan thing. also make a remark that he looks fat when he looks in the mirror? Like it's hardly <laughs> Hulk Hogan's best moment. <laughs> no, hardly, hardly his best moment. With all things so nonchalant, though. If you, if you just look, at it, it's like he stopped over, like to borrow a cup of milk, and, you know. And they forced him into the sex tape, which it does have that feeling. <laughs> Hmm. It's, it's, it's so weird. Tell you what, let's, we're going to get back to James Dean, much cooler than Hulk Hogan. We're going to get back oh, to, uh, to your, your, your book, um, too, too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, James Dean's Final Moments. And we will talk about James Dean's Final Moments after this, uh, my favorite uh, song about James Dean. Here we go. You're listening to Arts and Seizures on the Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. 
My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. And we're back. Here we are with the ace, Dante J. Sam, Mike, the main event, Edison, and our guest today, our very special guest, uh, returning. You've been here a couple times before, Keith. Keith Elliott Greenberg, whose new book is uh, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, James Dean's Final Moments. Um, and it is the 60th anniversary of James Dean's death, and here we are still talking about him. He is the icon of cool. And uh, what happened? What what? Uh, talk about James Dean's uh, final moments. I mean, we all know it was uh, he went out in a blaze of uh, glory in a car crash, as all rock stars do. What happened? Well, that's actually a misperception, in my opinion. I don't necessarily think that James Dean's intention was to go out in a blaze of glory. Well, he took that turn a little fast, maybe. Well, he was he was uh, driving to a race, and what happened was he um, needed to break in the car. He had just purchased it. And so uh, he was a, it was a vi- Porsche Spider, if I remember. It was correctly? a Porsche Spider 550, which was a brand new car for the astronomical sum at the time of seven thousand dollars. And he was braking in the car as he was driving to the race in Salinas, California. And right outside of Sholam, California, a, a college student and a, a naval vet named Donald Turnipseed was making a turn. James Dean's car was very low to the ground. And Turnip Seed was in a rush. There's not much traffic over there. I went over there. And James Dean, made, um, rather than Turnip Seed, was making a turn and didn't see James Dean coming toward him. And they had a crash. Now, James Dean was maybe doing 75, which over there is not an excessive amount of speed. So he was not Jim Stark, his character in Rebel Without a Cause. He was simply driving along the highway and had it been three seconds later the two would have avoided each other and we'd never be thinking about this again he had kind of a reputation for being a, a bit of a speed demon though right uh, he was driving degree. driving you know these race cars he was going to a race yes he was that was his, that was his, his thing that was his diversion and he wanted to get the respect from the other race car drivers of being uh, legitimate as a, as a racer not a celebrity who was uh, looking at this as a hobby but seriously, I don't think he was trying to go crazy on the highway. I think that it would, it's just an unfortunate circumstance. And now if you go um, over to that part of the highway, it's uh, sort of like a big... Um, it's a shrine. shrine and there was a Japanese James businessman who spent a lot of money to put up a shrine to James Dean. There's nothing else over there. There's a spot nearby, which was the garage where his, his car was towed, which is now a restaurant. And in the parking lot, there's this tribute to James Dean. People do come there from all over the world. And do they order a malt like that? Uh, they might. <laughs> they might. But, uh, but what, what the place is known for is it's, uh, it's fruit pies. And, um, you know, folks do come over there. They, they refer to it as the death tour. The death tour. A lot of that going on. And uh, why do we think James Dean is still so, so, still so, um, why he resonates? When I was, you know, working on the book with you and I did watch his movies, I mean, it's a style of acting that just seems like it's gone, it's just not done anymore. There are only a handful of people who really knew how to project like that. People, like you said, it was method acting. Um, Maybe it's because it came from a theater background. It's definitely like a level of like raw emotion that you just do not see in Hollywood movies. It's very primal. And, you know, we were 
to, to briefly bring the conversation back to professional wrestling. As it always does, please. <laughs> and, you know, let's make the comparison to Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt. There's something about James Dean that gives you the impression that that's really him you're watching, not mm-hmm. the character he's playing in the movie. Yeah, and and I, yet there's not a professional wrestler on earth who I'd describe as vulnerable. Uh, <laughs> although, back in the day, back in the day... Anybody have a crying gimmick? No, but, but back in the day, I, I would say as a champion, Bruno was vulnerable. Because although Bruno was very muscular and strong, he was squat. And bigger guys could stomp on him and make you feel like he might actually lose tonight. And you could feel his vulnerability. Right. Of course, well, Bruno was as wide as he was tall, too. Something about James Dean and uh, relating to Dean Ambrose, Bray Wyatt, I think these guys are naturals. And they're just so good at their craft. You know, James Dean, like you said, Mike, comes from a theater background. And, and I come from a theater background before I started doing film. And it's always easy easier to bring those feelings and emotions inwards. So I think it really prepared James Dean for what he was doing. And and not only was he a great actor, like you said, he was the epitome of cool. So like we watch him nowadays, it's just as cool as it was way back then. And But the thing is that he was defining cool on the fly. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, a James Dean type of cool before James Dean. James Dean lived it, he defined it, and then he went away. And then everyone else was aspiring to achieve James Dean-style cool. Independence. So what, what year did Rebel uh, Without a Cause come out? It, um, Rebel Without a Cause came out in 55 after James Dean's death. Right. And it was still the very beginning of the, of the era of rock and roll. It was just the beginning. It hadn't even... It was, I mean, 56 was really, really when rock and well, roll When exploded. Elvis broke out, when Chuck Berry broke out, when... Um, when Pat Boone <laughs> broke out playing Little Richard songs. I mean, that's when it happened, the, the era of the teenager. It's when dating became a thing. You know, up until then, I mean, you know, and also the fact that there are radios in cars. I mean, the world changed. That changed the world. There are radios in cars. Cars became places to have sex, not just, you, you know, cars. Right, and a place for teenagers who mm-hmm. had driver's licenses to retreat to. And, you know, James Dean set the tone for that because it very much personified California driving culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that seeped its way into American culture. The irony of that, of course, is that James Dean was driving a Porsche, (laughs) which was a German car. And it made this German car 10 years after the war part of, at least in California, American driving. Well, James Dean was a movie star, and he, and he had, had dough, and he had expensive hobbies, and that's cool. I think one thing about James Dean, too, that one reason we liked the story was he was a nice guy from the Midwest. He was a decent guy. You know, he was a decent guy from the Midwest who was vulnerable, and he had... Um, I mean, he was bisexual, if not gay, certainly, and um, that, 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 that at that time and place, and that kind of... Uh, um, lifestyle, to, you know, you're trying to keep it out of the paper. You don't know where to go with that, but you could feel this w- w- within him. I feel this inner turmoil. Whatever I watch him, of like trying to be himself in a world that just really can't let him be that guy. But he also is trying to balance both lifestyles. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stay in Indiana anymore, although he loved Indiana and he loved the people in Indiana. And very close to his family, real family Very close to his family, very close to his grandparents, very close to his cousin, who I interviewed for the book, who he perceived as a younger brother. But he also needed to be away from that. He was too restricted over there. But he had fantasies of bringing his grandparents out to Hollywood and living with them and getting his little cousin a job in Hollywood. So he really was – everyone's conflicted 
everybody has parts of them that crash against each other. And he, you know, he represents that. I think it's great. Does that even happen anymore? I mean, I like to hear a story of a guy in Indiana who was just discovered and made it big. Like maybe a nice kid like Dante the Ace over here, a nice Bensonhurst guy who's going to make it big. Well, thank you very much. In the I world hope of so. professional wrestling or otherwise. Acting and wrestling. Although you got to ease up, dude. Okay, you just got to have to accept the fact that once in a while people cheat. That's now, what this game is about. Now, Mike, before you said that the heels sell the tickets, but do not the fans buy the tickets because they want to see the good guys beat the heels? Yeah, 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 bloody likely. So um, there you go. Okay, it's what Roddy Piper always told me when I asked him. It's like, why do I identify with the heels? You know, I've never rooted for a good guy. I've never rooted for a baby face. And it's because baby faces, like like your friends, okay, <laughs> like the people that you like, they're panderers. They want to be liked all the time, you know? Whereas, whereas James Dean... Okay, and, and and most heels, we don't worry about you know with whether you like us or not. The first time you see us, we're going to take you on a ride. You know, it's not going to be I'm going to follow you and what you like and what's trendy. It's like you're going to come with me, and I'm going to break the rules. And this country was built on that outlaw spirit, Dante. Okay, All right, that's true. But a guy like Dean Ambrose, he follows his own rules and makes his own rules, and he is a face, is he not? He did turn baby face. Yes. Yeah. So there you face, go. I, I got to be honest. I um, with all this like racism and murder and wrestling these, <laughs> these days. Oh my goodness gracious! I don't even know. I haven't been really honestly keeping up with it as I should. I know there's a big pay per view tonight. You guys watching? Yeah, it? the uh, Night of Champions yes. pay per view is tonight. Double, double two. Uh, John Cena has two title defenses. Or, the, or Seth Rollins. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Seth, Seth Rollins rather. And, and Cena's Cena's still at it. I mean, it's unbelievable. Cena's He's had an it. unbelievable run. This guy, right? Yeah. Yes, and I must say that U.S. title. I attribute that first to Rusev and then mm-hmm. to Cena. I never even thought about the U.S. title, even when it was WCW. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. now suddenly it means something I mean, to me more than the Intercontinental Well, no, no one knows what the fuck you're talking about. I will, I will, <laughs> I I will, I will say this, though. The United States champion. Well, no, you know what? I'm, I like the belts. I like the old TV belt. I mean, to me, there was, in my mind, being an old fan, there was definitely a hierarchy of these championships that they kind of fucked with because they had the heavyweight champion and the WWE world champion, I think they call it. The Intercontinental belt, to me, was always a classy belt. Yeah. It was always like, well, I remember the great days when Tito Santana had it, and basically, he, every month, you get the shit beaten out of him <laughs> by Paul Orndorff, by the Magnificent Morocco, by, by some of you, and like, just beat him pillar to post to me. The guy would be going out, like, on a gurney. He'd be getting to the ambulance, and the heel would still be beating him over the head <laughs> on his way into the ambulance. And this happened every month, and to me, that's what that belt signified. Yeah. Either... Either a baby face who got beaten up constantly on it, or a heel, you know, who was just the most nefarious But when you turn about Tito Santana, you turn about the vulnerability that James Dean showed. Ah, ah. Tito Santana as James Dean. Well, <laughs> that, that really, really tops it all. But I do want to say, I love the old TV belt championship, right, when Tully Blanchard had that. These are the belts. And, of course, the NWA heavyweight championship, which was, was the, uh, you know... The, the optimal. The, the optimal belt, the one that Ric Flair and Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes wore. That was was the belt. But the old United States Championship, I remember when Magnum TA had that. You know, I don't know these belts of history. I feel like it's like everything else. I think I believe when the Pope comes to America, he'll be talking about the disposable culture of wrestling championships. I think well, he's probably well. He was probably a fan of Los Titanes del Ring. Which <laughs> do you know about that? You know, was there a Catholic gimmick? I wasn't a Catholic gimmick, but it was a, what, what, priests. Uh, Do they have any wrestling priests? No, but it was an Argentinian promotion. Do you do you remember that guy Friar Ferguson? <laughs> I do remember yeah. that. That was uh, Mike Shaw. Yeah, who was also um, who Bastion was Booger. Bastion Booger, yeah. and and he was uh, who was the the role he played in in Calgary. 
Um, was he like the Mackam Singh? Mackam oh, Singh. Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. A friar gimmick. Huh? I love yeah. it. I <laughs> it didn't it. last long. I love. Yeah. It. I like. I'd like to see that. So a rabbi, a priest, and an imam go into a wrestling ring. Has there <laughs> ever been a rabbi in wrestling? Just a just um, a Jewish accountant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jewish not, accountant who wasn't Jewish. Who was actually Bray Wyatt's father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, fucking Vey. Mm. Once again, it's been the fastest half hour on the internet today. Uh, check out Keith Greenberg's new book, uh, James Dean's Final Moments. It's called uh, Too, Fast, uh, Too Fast to Live, Too, Too Young, young to, to die. die. James Dean's Final Hours. Final Hours. Thank you. And um, no, it's a, it's a very good book. And uh, Keith's other books... Um, uh, December eighth, nineteen eighty, the day John Lennon died. Love hurts. Perfect beauty. There's a lot. To, there's a lot to read. All right, check out Keith, Keith Greenberg. He's the best, and of course, the ace, Dante Chase. I hope we'll be back in the wrestling booth together sometime. I'm going to educate you, son, and I'm going <laughs> to teach you the power of the folding chair. Thanks to Saint uh, Elizabeth of the booth and everybody out in wrestling land. Uh, next week we have a special rock and roll uh, edition of Arts and Seizures. We've got John Spencer and Heavy Trash. We've got Simon Chartier. We've got Daddy Longlegs. Uh, all coming at you through the magic of the interweb. See ya. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>